This is CliffCentral.com. Good afternoon to you all tuned into the Fashion Lab on Cliff Central today. Welcome to the show that dissects the business behind fashion. My name is Lisa Gumba Regisford, joined by my co host, Morik Peterson. A very good afternoon, everyone. And our senior trend analyst, Nicola Cooper. Hello, everybody. So if you're tuning in for the first time, Fashion Lab is the first business radio show to go live in air, on air in the world with a mission to help develop, grow, and sustain the business behind the African fashion industry. Um, I've been listening and hearing a few things about uh, Uber models. Uber models, yes, yes. Let's, <laughs> Can let we me just tell talk about that for a minute? <laughs> something very, very interesting I read on Business of Fashion, and I was actually kind of shocked to see that there is an app now that you can Uber a model. So agencies across the globe are like, what is going on? Because now you pick up your phone and I need a supermodel and I go on Uber model app <laughs> and I'm like, did, 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 and she comes and modeling agencies are saying, guys, this is ruining our business because you don't need to pay all those fees, the dollars and the dollars and the rent and the rent. So I think I'm going to get myself onto Uber models, Nicola. I'm, I'm actually scared of who is going to get onto Uber models myself. So maybe some supermodels and maybe some not so supermodels. So don't be surprised if you see my, if you see my picture on Uber models. Liz, what do you think? You know, since you were a model for 15 years in New York City, you know, how do you feel now? I mean, with technology. I just think it's very unfortunate for the modeling in agencies because really they've been sitting and building these agencies for years and years with all the admin, all of the extra costs, um, and suddenly you've got an Uber for models, meaning that I can just go and, and chill in an Uber, quickly get to point B, get paid, no commission to anyone, no nothing, just mm-hmm. Liz is modeling, she got paid. So I feel like, you know, it's nice. Technology is a beautiful thing and times... Yeah. Are evolving things change. We yeah. love it, but whew, I but feel do you sorry think quickly, Lizzie? Do you think you you will get a recognition as a model through Uber models quicker, or because I know because agencies also build models, the profiles. But now, if I'm an upcoming model, and all of a sudden I go on Uber model, and Uber model makes me famous, do I still need an agency? I think honestly, times are changing, mm-hmm. so. And if you're a hot model, you're a hot model. Mm. Hot commodity is hot anyway. So whether you're coming from Boss or you're coming from whatever, model or Uber, (laughs) if you're hot, you've got the look, you've got the thing, then, I mean... Who would, who, which client will say no? Oh, Liz, sorry, you, what did you come with Uber? Oh, no, Uber, okay. Do they so, deliver <laughs> you in an Uber? Uber, yeah. or, yeah, or are you with a boss? So. Very interesting though, very interesting. I think it's dangerous actually. Do you think so? Could you imagine? Maybe it's gonna become more sexual too. <laughs> like, Let me stop, Liz, yeah, take us through the show. Okay. <laughs> Today on the show we are dissecting a subject around innovative use or application of African print and fabric. And joining us in studio our special guests, African-inspired accessory creator, Maria McCloy. We've got fashion designer for Guitoline. Guillotine. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay, Guillotine. <laughs> we make mistakes. Lisa Jaffe. Yep. And then we ob- obviously also have our stylist, cam fashion designer, Francois Ferreira. Mm, I love the way you said that. I love the way you said that. Lisa Jaffe, um, welcome into the studio. Just come closer to the mic. And when I look at Lisa's aesthetic, I'm like, simple but yet very elegant. Is that what you're portraying as a designer? Because you know sometimes, a lot of times when people see us as 
designers they're always I, I don't know they expect to see flamboyant. I don't know Radical. flamboyant and yes. and funny stuff but I look at you and I'm looking at Maria too the simplicity of your looks is absolutely amazing but welcome to the show nothing um, simple about Maria's look <laughs> <laughs> no I'm saying I'm saying the aesthetic of her look it's not like shh, look at me having the whole coming to America Messiah <laughs> hanging over me <laughs> <laughs> heavy, heavy. And for those who are obviously tuned in, Maria and I have a similar neck piece. Obviously, I knew she was coming into studio, so I decided to also throw this baby on and build we'll text some pictures, share them on Instagram, and you can share your views because we are feeling very um, African today. Very, very. I mean, we feel African every day. Yeah, we yes. feel, well, we, well, more today, but you know, either way, we, we feel African every day. But just a quick reminder also, we've got a very interesting segment at the end of the show called Who Would You Want to Dress? And again, for our listeners, please think about who you would want to dress and why, so that at the end of the show, as we share our who's and why's, you are welcome to also tweet in uh, at Fashion Lab AF or visually you can insta us at Fashion Lab Africa. Um, Lisa, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Lisa Thank Jaffe. Gelatine, gelatine. That's gelatine. Gelatine. Like the blade. Oh, <laughs> gelatine. Very nice. Gelatine. Um, Lisa, when was gelatine launched and what inspired you to start, um, your own label? Gelatine was launched in 2007. I had been playing about with fashion for many, many years before that. Mm-hmm. I changed the label. Um, and it became guillotine in 2007 when I kind of grew up from being a girl more into a woman. Mm-hmm. And it was the slice and the revolution, <laughs> I'd say, of, of girlhood to womanhood. Oh. Um, guillotine is very much about dressing the body and the two-dimensional sort of flat plane you start on when you are creating and then designing around a body which shifts into a three-dimensional um, body um, those are my interests. I love, I love form. I love the body and I love fabric. Wow. Well wow. said. Tell us a bit about that process where you obviously use the tailoring to create modern, um, three dimensional or two dimensional lines to influence your garments form and shape because I've seen your work and I find it very interesting. It'd be nice to just shed some more light on kind of what the process is. Um, okay. Well, it's, it's interesting for me to, um, sort of, revisit my work and even look back on my, on my work because the same sort of um, stories keep on coming through from, I've been doing it for I think 12 years now and the same lines and the same stories keep on sort of wrapping around the female, for now, the female feminine body. Um, these lines are, are quite subtle. Um, they shift around the body. I'm very interested in wrapping the body, but it's, it is a very subtle, um, tailoring. It's not, it's, it's, you've got to look twice. Um, it doesn't shout. Um, where it does shout is where I bring in print. And that is to find, and print for me is the story. It's a story on the surface of a fabric. And that enhances what I'm trying to say with my tailoring. So that's how the print aspect and the, fabric aspect and the weave of the fabric sort of uh, mixed together. That's where they come together in this wonderful sort of symphony, you could say, of of design. Wow. Yeah. I find it very interesting that you've just mentioned, you know, the use of 
prints and in your, I think, two collections now that you've been using print. And I love that Basutu. Nicola had it in studio now the other mm. day, that whole Basutu jacket and just your interpretation. And Nicola and I was just having this quick little conversation speaking about sometimes as a designer, you just need to take ownership because we live on such a diverse continent that sometimes you also don't want to offend that, mm. that particular and culture, mm. you know, because I was telling Nikita too, we get inspired, we can draw inspiration. But how do you want your prints to be interpreted to the African um, fashion market? Okay, it's it's a very complex, wonderful subject that we're talking about today, um, and I'm sure we'll go quite deeply into it. So I don't, I don't just want to race through um, everything, but mm-hmm. some things I'd like to let's let's talk about the Basutu blanket as a starting point. Yeah. Okay, it doesn't belong to me. Yes, it's a Basutu blanket. Um, I I had a look at the history of it um, for a few months already. I've been I've been researching. The kind of blanket I ended up using was very, very specific. Yeah. Um, I wanted, I didn't want to use certain motifs. Yeah. I.e. crowns, which, which was a, for me, a, a memory of Queen Victoria mm, and colonialism. colonialism. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, I didn't want to use certain other traditional rites that might be more, um, what's the word, sensitive to, to, um, traditional, uh, Situations, mm-hmm. and I also used a particular motif that would would work with my label. So I used um, the Caretza blanket in particular. It has a mountain aloe on, and it has a shield. And I wanted to dress um, my my people in a shield coat for winter as a symbolic shield against the cold with a mountain aloe that's only grown in Lesotho. And it's more about their nature rather than getting into sort of colonialism history, although it's all seeped in that all the time. But that wasn't really what I was talking about there. And I was also talking about paying it's, – it's really about paying homage. And every time I used and tried to use this fabric – I would redesign it and redesign it. I was, I became quite obsessed. It was never enough. I started with this particular, um, motif last year and it took me a year to bring the coat out because I was never satisfied with, with the way it fell or looked. Um, but I think that's, I mean, knowing you as a designer and, and you've dressed me, um, quite often is that you are very, very particular about the structure of your garment and the way that it, it works with the female body and, and, you know, that's, I think that's what I love about wearing your garments. Um, I was saying to Liz earlier that I had asked you once, you know, to describe, uh, guillotine and you said to me, well, you want women to look hot, but at the same time <laughs> feel like they're wearing a tracksuit. Yes, and that is absolutely much. true. And for me, someone that goes to many events or I'm sitting front row in fashion week, like for hours on end, it is the most comfortable clothing because you have paid attention to the body and you know what's going to happen when you sit down and what's going to happen, when, which a lot of designers do not think about. So um, I, f- I also find that there's an Eastern quality to your work in terms of an Asian simplistic aesthetic. Is that is that also incorporated into... Yes, most definitely. In fact, my first label was very Asian inspired, um, broadly, maybe possibly Taiwanese or Chinese, because I did actually spend time there. So that would make absolute sense. And obviously, we are, we are a melting pot of culture. We are global. 
we are completely influenced by each other. Um, I think it's a wonderful thing that we influence by each other. And we always have been, whether it's mm-hmm. food or fabric or mm-hmm. language or music. Um, we all borrow. And I think it's, it's, it's great to borrow, but one must be careful how one borrows and yes. one must pay homage when you can. And you must always remain close to the source. So for Very instance, true. let's say these Basutu blankets started getting made in China. At a much cheaper price, which they would be. Do not go and use those blankets from China. Remain close to your source. Always quote your source. Nicola knows that and does that all the time. And she grows local design in that way. It's incredibly important. Um, acknowledge your source and try and work with people very closely. And Maria does that all the time that mm-hmm. are working with those things. So you empower. So borrowing doesn't become... Cannibalism. Mm. Yes, cannibalism, and it doesn't become um, problematic. It's actually it actually um, uplifts and pays homage, and I think that's that's sort of what we we're talking about today. Mm. How wow. much are those jackets? I want one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to tell you. And they're amazingly warm. <laughs> they're beautiful. They definitely are beautiful. Lisa, you have a new luxury label where you collaborate with South African artists to create um, some sort of artsy. Uh, at work that's transposed into textile, print, and then to the actual garment. Could you just share with us a bit about this uh, new label? Sure. So that is another way that I want to um, create local print with another brand, an amazing brand called Lamad, and she is a curator, uh, Lucy McGarry, and she works with amazing fine artists and photographers, all South African, and then translate. So, for instance, with our new brand we launched, it's called GXL, which is Guillotine and Lamad. Um, we worked with a particular artist, Ben Johnson, who's a director and a graphic designer and a filmmaker, and he makes unbelievably modern and relevant prints. And it took us a year, and we finally translated those into kimonos. So, again, you're taking um, kimono traditional, Japanese, splicing it with something that's very um, urban, and um, the melting global pot, and then we're taking local um, local artists, and all we all working together to push out and make an unbelievable product. It takes a lot of time. Wow! When are you launching that? We launched it last year, but only with kimonos. So we'll continue growing the brand slowly but surely. Lisa, I just quickly wanted to go back when you were speaking. There's something that I picked up when you're speaking about, you know, the whole copyright of, of type of prints. How has that been received by the Basutu people? You know, what is their feelings regarding you as, and I'm sorry to say, you as mm, a white person completely. interpreting their culture? You know, what yeah. was their feel? What, were they against you to say, like, you don't know nothing about us, so who gives you the right to, you know, because... It, it happens, it happens, yeah. yeah. To be honest, of course I don't know because it's a very small scale. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can tell you is how my clients have been um, responding to the jacket, who's been buying the jacket. I'd say mostly black women have been buying the jacket. I've seen mostly black women have been astonished, the fact that um, you can take a blanket and turn it into a coat. I've had m- many, many, many people walk past my store, black and white kids, teenagers taking photographs, getting inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Obviously, I don't have direct links yeah. to what's going on in Lesotho. I do know that the blanket company, Aranda, where the blankets come from, yeah. um, they have, they have permission 
from the king or kingdom, and I don't know what that means, something I want to research, to pr- to make these blankets. On the website, it says they have bless- the blessings to make these blankets. And obviously, um, they are worn in Lesotho, and they fulfill a traditional role, and obviously they're worn here. Um, though that same um, blanket company also makes blankets that I've seen worn on homeless people. So it's quite a diverse company that actually makes them, and they have rights. They have and rights from the like king. Probably no one, no one, but no. It's interesting to me that probably nobody from Lesotho or anyone Basutu makes money from the blanket. Yeah, because yeah. It, the blanket originally came from England, uh, from Europe, and was given to the king, and then the king liked it. Then it became traditional, like most of like African print. Stronger print came from Japan. So what makes these things African is how we, how we, we how we, them them. How we yeah. interpret yeah. it. But my my problem, I have a problem when, like you were saying, and what you were saying, when people don't make money off it. Yes, like yes. the irony is, like Basutu culture gave that blanket swag. It it made yeah. it it made it not just a random blanket. But actually, the company South African and white owned. And yes. And so yeah. how, so yeah. how does? How do, how do why is that happening? Why, um, why is it continually happening? Also, in all culture, like I was at my my market. Uh, I was at my my market, which is a traditional market in mm. Joburg, and a Zulu lady said to me, "On Market Street, it's everyone but us selling our stuff. So if you go down Market Street." Not to racialize or whatever, but it's just a fact. Most just, of the yeah. shops on Market Street are owned by people of Indian origin. So yeah. <laughs> you will, not even Indian South African a lot of time, Indian from India. And that's where you'll go buy your Zulu attire for a wedding. <laughs> and she was like, but I'm not selling Indian stuff. I'm not making money off Indian attire. So to me, the whole like part of this discussion is also like, Ooh, we must benefit in Africa from our, our exactly. things. It's like Mani made that sandal inspired by Zulus and Batata. Yeah. Beautiful sandal. It's 6,000 Rand for a Mani Zulu sandal and like mm. 100 Rand for a South African Zulu sandal. But never once did Mani in Italy say, this is a Zulu sandal. Yes. Exactly. We are inspired by Zulu. We use Zulus to make this nothing. They just ran off with Actually, the... Actually, was yeah. going to bring up the point a little bit later in my train session, but Louis Vuitton did the Basutu blanket and didn't just do the Basutu blanket, put the logo, the LV logo on the Basutu blanket. That's crazy. And that was about two, three years ago. So, I mean... In a menswear range. In a menswear range. So, it's quite interesting that you do get international designers borrowing um, African design and then not even acknowledging the source of it. Yeah, or no, even they're cannibals. With. They're yeah. cannibals. Yeah, what's wrong with coming to Lesotho and saying like, hey, let's, let's do a make shoot in yeah. Lesotho or yeah. in the Free State because Basotho culture is also there or Very producing true. in Africa. Mm. Very true. Lisa, just before you go, as, as an African designer and you being such a phenomenal lady, you know, yes. and living on the African continent, mm. what type of legacy do you want to be remembered for or what, you know, your, your clothing, <laughs> what do you want people to remember about Lisa? I want, I want people to remember how they felt. Yeah. Because it's very, it's a very sensual thing. Yeah. Agreed. Fabric for me and, and design and it's about bettering lives. That's number one. That's what we're here for. All design. All of us. Bettering lives, um, making your day, your, your day to day a good day every, every day. So it's not about this like kingdom legacy and you know, all, mm-hmm. all of that. That's all bullshit. 
it. Um, <laughs> it's about it's about making someone feel bloody marvelous yes. every single day. Yes. And 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 nothing really. That's our job. Our job is to see beauty. Mm-hmm. Our job is to find beauty in in strange places or even unstrange places to interpret that, and then to make everyday people feel good. Very good. Yeah. And if you look good, because if you look good, you You'll really feel good. feel good. Lisa, where can people get hold of you? And I just want to say one, yeah. one thing is, no is problem. my little, my little s- uh, statement for the day is outside is the new inside. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you can get, uh, I've got a flagship store at 44 Stanley Avenue. Um, and it's the guillotine flagship store. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Liz, Liz has Thank just pranced away. No, I'm taking it in. I'm like, wow, outside is the new inside. I'm like thinking about it. I'm thinking about everything we're talking about here. It's very interesting. And sometimes this subject matters seem so light, but they go in so deep. No, and um, no. it's just nice to have conversations around them and have um, brilliant creatives in the room today just sitting here um, discussing this interesting topic with us. For those who are tuning in, this is the Fashion Lab. Uh, we are on every Friday from 1 to 2 p.m. Central Time. And we are moving straight to Maria McCloy, who's sitting here looking fabulous in her neck piece. Which, As usual. Yeah, but I, which I'm also looking fabulous in. We'll, <laughs> we'll take a picture of that shortly. But Maria, welcome to the show as well again. Um, um, thank you. Working as a journalist, publicist, and then still being able to create some time to create one of the, I mean, some of the most amazing accessories um, innovatively through the use of African prints. Tell us a bit about what inspires your work and how you balance uh, everything. Yeah, so unlike what Lisa and, and Guillotine and was describing, no training, no inside is outside, no like draping or like, you know, no formal training. So when people are like, you're the designer, I'm like, huh? <laughs> but what I will say is I always liked accessories since I was a little girl, always liked accessories and I always liked print because, um, my mom is from Lesotho and my dad is from England. And then when I was a kid, we lived in different places, Nigeria, Sudan, Mozambique came to Lesotho, then I came to boarding school in South Africa. So I think all of that, then I had friends from everywhere, Liberian friends, Ugandan friends, they had all their traditional stuff. I saw the blank, Lesotho blanket, always had one when I was little, like a little poncho when I was a three-year-old, had Sushesha skirt. So I think all of that melded into what you see today, which is the necklace, like what you're wearing, the African print shoes, the clutches. Um, but how I started selling was also in 2007 when I went home to Lesotho and I met a man in the market, uh, David McGuire is his name, and he had amazing wire earrings. And I was like, I want them, but like five times bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what? Your ear's going to fall off. And I was like, nah, just give them to me. And then I came back to Joburg and everyone wanted my, my earrings, you know. And because I was in media, famous people wanted my earrings. Lyra started wearing them a lot just because I would meet her on set when we were producing TV shows. Uh, people at fashion, you know, the kind of girls who go to fashion week wanted the earrings. So I started being known for like, oh, are those Maria McCloy's? Thanks for the name, parents But Lyra did wear your stuff To the Black Entertainment Awards uh, The red carpet Yeah, so that was was a big moment For the bags The big moment for the earrings When a girl called Mukhadi was like I'm going to take these earrings to Kansani at Stone Cherry I was like, okay Next thing, I'm just like this little Well, you know, journalist, TV producer person Baby in the fashion world And my earrings are in Stone Cherry Then they're in a Marianne Fassler show Sold at San Godes, did Mansu's so then I started being known for that. Then I added vintage. So in between writing, producing, <laughs> I was selling vintage. <laughs> and then in 2011 came the print, which I think is what I became best known for. 
I just want to find out. I'm looking at the neck piece, mm. and it has about let me just count one, two, three, like six different layers. With L- Liz has one with like thirty, I have 30 thirteen layers. layers. Yes, layers. I mean, I had one specifically made by order of Maria. Can it start from here and end yes. here? And it's yes. Mm. And but and I'm seeing there's different um, African print around each of them. Um, Maria, is it more difficult using African print when it comes to accessories or conceptualizing or putting it together? You know. Well, like I said, I don't have any training. I don't know how to make things. I seem to have an eye for what I like, and then people like it. And I call all my customers my muses. So if Liz or Nicola wants a certain thing, then I'm like, sweet, new addition to my range. <laughs> <laughs> so I use, and I always call it traveling without moving in Johannesburg. I love it. So the, the necklaces are made by a Tanzanian guy. The bags are made by a Nigerian guy. The men's shoes are made in a factory run by an old Italian guy, and his staff are all South African. Then there's, lately there's a lot of um, Zulu, Zulu kind of cutouts in the mix. So I'm using a variety of stuff, and... What did you say? Is it difficult? No. Is, is it a difficult <laughs> process? Is it no, difficult it's, e- process? It's, it's easy. <laughs> it's easy. Said. It's easy because I found great makers who I'm like, this is my idea. And they're like, okay. And then they make, they make it happen. Yeah. I guess it's frustrating because I can't sit at home and just do it like how Lisa could, you know? Yeah. But. I don't do that either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then I'm a designer. <laughs> you designed that. You didn't yeah. even know it. You yeah. designed it. <laughs> <laughs> Maria, I know you have the space on Atten, Maine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, you obviously sell there every Sunday. Yes. So operating in a world where business is the bottom line in any fashion business, what type of consumers do you attract on the Sunday market? And does that presence at the market actually bring you good returns? Yes. I'd, it was a great thing for me when the market opened because before I used to sell at like um, vintage sales once a month. So having a a place I could see people every week was a big thing for me and I'm not big enough to be able to afford a shop. And in the current climate, I'm scared of having a shop because <laughs> if Edcon are suffering, imagine me. <laughs> you know? And true. I see, I see all these shops like it's a great idea, but wow, big ups to anyone. I've had friends who've had shops, yeah. you know, and um, I would prefer to be available on the net, on different people's websites, my mm. own eventually, and in shops around the world. Mm. So the market is a great base for me and it's all kinds of people. And I love that. Like people who have an emotional attachment to the cloth, who have a history with it, and people who just see a beautiful cloth. Maria, speaking about you, you, you know, you see your, your, your brand, you know, penetrating globally. Mm. Um, is your accessory business, is it well received, um, firstly on the African continent? And how, how have you been received? I think, I mean, it's, I only, I just call it magic, you know? Because yeah. the way people see this cloth that they grew up with, or beads they grew up, they see these um, parts of their history. And I think it's important to keep that going because colonialism and apartheid made us look down on that mm. and made us reserve anything traditional just for a wedding or a traditional occasion. And I'm all about we must wear it every day and we must keep all these crafts going or they're going to die. Mm. It's like true. harder and harder to find people who do beadwork or who do this or, you know, everything's moved to China. So... um it's been res- when I went to America, it was amazing. I was like, ah, you can't take the Africa out of these people. Because no, black yes. Americans I met at the BET Awards in LA went crazy. <laughs> so I definitely have my eye on the West also. Very interesting. Your staff is amazing. And I don't want to make this show about you because I can start telling you exactly what I want to order next and then what <laughs> something I saw, guys, I saw. So we've got my sister in law, her name is Diane, and they're obviously friends. And she's based in the UK. And then Maria says, oh, I'm dropping off a neck piece. 
that should go to the UK and I'm dropping it off at the showroom. So I come into the showroom, I find this neck piece and I sit down on the floor because I'm like, this is supposed to be my neck piece. So this, this is, this is already cool. She had this beaded, so one layer is beaded and then cloth and then be intricate, amazing. I just want to have this conversation yeah. with you. you after. Can I just, I just, I wanted to just swip, swap it, but I was like, Diane knows and she'll see the picture and she'll send you the picture and then who took or who swapped the neck pieces. So I think you're doing amazing, amazing work. Keep doing what you're doing. And I just want to say that I want a neck piece too as a guy because <laughs> I said to Liz yesterday, I mean, I can rock this neck piece. I mean, when you look at the Kenyan, the Kenyan men, I've seen a picture, you know, they're very known for wearing these type of, you know, and I actually want one from my no, neck I going just, down. Well, you better stop. make something. I no, mean, I, I think I, you should start with shoes personally because the men's shoes are yes. way even better than the women's. Yes. And and can uh-huh. I just say something more? Can you just stick to that Maasai blanket I got you? Because now we're gonna have to walk into places. I have to call you. Hi, you wearing the <laughs> neck piece? Oh no, I'm not. Oh, are you? So I don't want competition tight, too tight with Morwick. But but it's amazing stuff. Thank it you. is beautiful. Thank no. you so much. We will be back after the break with uh, Nicola Cooper's trend report. Uh, just keep holding it down like we do right here. Um, on Cliff Central. Keep it locked. <laughs> this is CliffCentral.com. Moving on along, this is the show that dissects the business behind fashion, Fashion Lab, and we are discussing the innovative use of African fabric and print with special guests Maria McCloy, uh, Lisa Jaffe, and Francois Ferreira. I love you. Just love saying that. She loves saying I'm that. Gonna, yeah, I'm gonna gi- I'm gonna give it over to Nicola to um just run us through the trend report. Okay, great. Well, um. As I said, I'm fairly new to this, so I have to introduce myself. I'm Nicola Cooper, Senior Trend Analyst, Specialist in Globalization. And um, throughout the, the show and thereafter, if you want to hashtag me at Ask Nicola Cooper, if there's anything you're interested in hearing. But today we're speaking about a very relevant trend, which is directly associated with the sort of influx of interest in fabrics and African fabrics and also the the cultural clash of variants of, of um, fabrics. And this is a, a term which we call in the trend wor- world hyperculture or culture clash. And this was defined by trend site WGSN as an aesthetic revolution that emphasized versatility, eclecticism, high energy, hybridity, and multiculturalism. So the whole idea is that this particular style mixes elements and patterns to form a new aesthetic of tribal global pattern and mixes. And this includes like hand-painted prints, tribal, excuse me, (laughs) tribal beading, ethnic embroidery, and what they refer to as ethical accessories. So we've got to also maintain that. So when I was looking through this particular trend, um, and after wearing um, the Basutu clo- uh, coat the other day out in um, in Rosebank area in Johannesburg, um, I came across an article about Kylie Jenner. Mm-hmm. Okay, we know the Kardashians. From the Kardashians. Well. Yeah. And basically, this past week, she went on to her social media wearing cornrows and said, I woke up like this, like D-I-S-S. Now, 
some people got very, very offended by that because this is what we call in the fashion world or even in the academic world, cultural appropriation. And um, it's when your culture becomes a trend or whether someone picks up a lingo or a, a fabric or anything like that and they adopt it or they borrow it or, as Mo was saying earlier, they cannibalize it. Yes. Um, so it's quite interesting. And, and just starting off from an international trend perspective is that there is a, a Tumblr and website called My Culture is Not a Trend which started with a young Native American Indian girl. And um, she really complained because what was happening at most of the music festivals is people were adopting Indian headdresses to go and either go to a Halloween party or to go to these festivals, take drugs, get completely crunk, and it was taking away from the historical and spiritual intention of the item. So as fashion designers and trend analysts and buyers in this country, we have to be weary or at least aware that some of these fabrications have sensitivities around them. And, you know, and, and the strength of this kind of misappropriation or cultural appropriation is that some of the music festivals have actually chosen to ban this headdress from their festivals because that's how much respect they have for that particular item. So it's quite interesting, and, and like I said earlier with the Louis Vuitton, that they would take something that was a Bosutu blanket and place their logo on it, show some insensitivity. I'm saying some. It just shows insensitivity um, to the particular trend. So it's a sense of... Um, borrowed power or cross-cultural consumption. And it, it really is interesting. And that's why I was so happy to have sort of three amazing guests on the show who work with Africa and work with African aesthetics in a very, very um, respectful and insightful and, and sensitive manner. So, Lisa's jacket, which I wore, I, I wore consciously as a white girl. And I thought, ooh, I'm in for trouble. And I mean, <laughs> but as a white girl, um, white girl, <laughs> growing up in the trans sky, I wasn't scared. Okay. Um, and I was ready for that confrontation. But ironically, as Lisa was saying earlier, young black women approached me. And said to me, oh my goodness, this is amazing. How beautifully constructed. Now we can go to our traditional um, events wearing something that makes me not look like my grandmother. And they kept asking me, where did I get it? And so I got such a, a strong positive affirmation. And I do believe it. it's in the way that the, that the blanket was handled. Then something happened, and I, I, I'm in the process of curating something with, with UJ, uh, the University of Johannesburg, and an academic, you know those academics, came up to me and they said, I have a problem with that jacket you're wearing and the sensitivities around it. And I, and I thought, how ironic. It was, it was a white academic. And I feel like somehow 
as as white individuals, we're kind of scared to a pattern or anything else because it might be misinterpreted as cultural appropriation. So I'd love to get Lisa's perspective on it because I know she stitched the Basutu label into the inside of the jacket and about how you work with the fabric with its integrity in mind. And same from Maria. Yes, um, it, it's, 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 I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a big one, that, and it's, it's a, it's a, we could talk for forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it is very much about how you use the objects, where, where you source them from, what you do with them, um, and how you, how you sort of, you can buy sort of a piece of fabric that means something Anywhere in the world today And you can cut it in a certain way I could have draped that um, blanket Sort of over the, I could have made it into a skirt Would it have become a different symbol? Mm. Um, in a postmodern society today And especially with fashion There's there's a lot of talk around um, borrowing yes. to and, and what is appropriate So again when I started, and I was even reluctant to put a scissor through that coat, it was a very emotional um, uh, thing for me. Um, that piece of fabric is so powerful. That blanket is so powerful. The weight is powerful. Um, the fact that it's used for protection against weather, the fact that it is a cultural symbol, um, it was a very emotional um, blanket. It's a very, it's a very. But it's so interesting that you say that because some designers. Show no respect to the fabric at all and butcher the fabric. So it's, it's actually, it's, true. it's, it's very true. true. And, and they I use mean, it horribly. they stitch yeah. it, you know, poorly and they don't align it beautifully. And it, here you are and you're having an emotional connection with the fabric, which is intentionally what it's about. Maybe Maria can sort of clarify a little bit on like the emotional connections of, of, Fabrication and what do you do? Because what you've done is you've taken traditional cloth Mm -hmm. and you've applied it to contemporary items. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like shifting it out of its original sense, but at the same time in a curated manner. And at the same time, I guess anyone African grew up with these cloths. So saying I'm using it in a, I mean, I, I just believe culture also is. It evolves. It isn't. I'm not using something ancient and mm. using it now. It's like mm. been. It's been in all our lives and histories <laughs> since this cloth got to Africa in the 1800s or whatever it was. And I think it's natural. If you look at uh, uh, African um, attire, it's evolved over the years. And to me, this is important. It's another way of keeping it going and not just. What, what I would say, what makes it. Emotional for me is when it's treated like a trend, and I think that's where the borrowing yes. and all of that, like, oh, we're in a Mandarin this year, and there's Native <laughs> yes, American, exactly. Aztec print, and now it's African, and like, once it's like, and and that, and so I, I once I handed some stuff to an editor to use, and she had to fight with her editor to use it in mm. South Africa because she's like, African print is last year's is like that's last year's trend, and we're oh, in no, Africa, and someone African is seeing this as a trend, so I'm like. That's also part of it. Like, don't treat it as a trend. It's a, like a. It's, 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 it's our life. It's our life. It was back then. It's now. Well, it's going to evolve into something. Is this cultural clash is a massive trend for high summer 
2015. But they never even, they just call it Aztec and tribal. There's no acknowledgement of what tribe. <laughs> it's true. Where, it's what true. Made, it's what true. Is, you know, so I think that's where people start to get offended. People are also cut out because those Aztec and tribal things are not made in Africa. And what do you think about designers like Stella Jean, who are Creole and then combine sort of African print with almost, um, you know, a different yeah. kind of print. What Stella Jean is what half Italian and half Cameroon something. Yes, yeah, something she's like she's that, a mix yes. and she uses people in Africa to make stuff. And I'm I'm not against anyone in the world being inspired by Africa, but yes. like treat it respectfully. Don't treat it like a trend. Acknowledge the source. Yes. Of um, what you're inspired by, and uh, I don't have a, a problem with that at all. I I'm big on the people who made the culture gaining from it. Yes. Absolutely. But I saw a video even recently of how Stella Jean worked and it looked like how we all should be working. It was amazing. Okay, cool. Well, that's kind of the heavyweight <laughs> <laughs> trained um, sort of discussion for this week. Again, my handle is at Nicola Coop, hashtag ask Nicola Cooper. And thank you so much, Lisa and Maria. Wow. Francois has been sitting here, turning his head and looking and looking and looking. <laughs> Francois, welcome to the show. Um, I have to say we love what you're doing as well. Today is a very powerful... Um, uh, Francois Ferreira fr- is my hashtag, <laughs> die in my pants. <laughs> because when I see his work, yes. I literally die in my pants. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I look at me all being shy. I said, thank you very much. <laughs> you ain't no shy boy. <laughs> Kanto, we love what you're doing, obviously. I think one of my favorite editorials is the African Seshik. But obviously, there's so today I was looking and I was like, gosh, which one do I like? But everything is amazing in how you put things together. Having been named by GQ, the stylist cam fashion designer of the future, tell us a bit about your styling work and where you're going. It's, it's weird because I grew up in very small towns. So I, don't, I don't look at life and go, I'm going to be a stylist. I went and I said, these are stories and they inspire me and made me want to be bigger and better and grow more. So I ventured from a marketing degree to go and beg GQ to work for them for over three months. They said no, and they said no again, and they said no again, and finally they said yes, and I was like, quit my job, got a job as a waiter. <laughs> <laughs> I went through a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. And then after that, um, I actually went to go work for a band called Gazelle, which is a very like Afro-chic kind of band. Yes, Sandra Ferreira, yeah. right? Yeah, worked for them. I created a label for them that was stuck in Colette and Comet de Son. Um, and then from there, a very, very, very talented woman asked me to work for it. And I was like, okay, cool. So I took this little journey to work for a woman called Charlotte Collins, who's one of the most award-winning stylists in South Africa. And she explained to me a different way of seeing life. It was, it was like there was an awakening. We always go and we go, it's fashion, so... Here's a trend. I'm going to put it on and that's fashion. It's not what it's about. It's about telling a story because you want to believe that there's something more within whatever I'm telling you. Because if you're on a set and everyone's bored, your reader will be bored. Mm. No one will be like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Or I want to be inspired or I want to be this person or that person I was living in Brackpan going through pages of like, you know, magazines and <laughs> believing that one day, you know, I'll be able to live this life that's set out here for me. And I think that's the whole thing. It's, 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 it's not about 
as much as I work in fashion and I do a lot of fashion work, it's not about fashion. It's about telling stories, about making people believe in better things and believe in futures wow. and like reinventing the way we see mm. a basic t-shirt or the way we see like in that, in that editorial that you love so much, which actually made me in some way. Um, we had to take a balaclava, which was the most unlawful thing to print in Cypher Media because it talks about like robbers and everything mm. that's bad and. So we had to make a human balaclava, which literally came from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. So it was a way to go, cool, here's something that is relevant. Chanel's done it, Beyonce's wearing it, it's everywhere, but we're not allowed to publish it. So how do we tell a story without offending people and about making people want to desire it versus just going, my friend has it, you know? <laughs> it's cool, it's on it's the so street. It's so hot right now. Yeah, it's so hot right now, which is not what it's about because style is about style. There's difference. Trends is about trends and fashion is about fashion. But style is like Maria's got a style, you know? When you see her at the market, she's got a certain style. You have people that have style. And that's why I think a lot of people can get confused about what we do. Is like, I'm not a stylist in say of like, I'm going to dress you. I'm a stylist in the sense of like, I create something. And that is a style. And that goes to the person's look, the environment he's in, and making sure that everything works together. That you don't look at something and go... Nice hair, <laughs> and the rest of the image is gone. Francois, you you seem to put things together so well. I mean, things oh. that no ordinary mind would even say. How I mean, you no know ordinary mind. No ordinary <laughs> mind would say, "Let's put that and that and actually make it work." I mean, what inspires your styling work, and how would you describe your style work? Um, people will shoot me for this. Don't reference. Um, mm. Don't reference anything. Mm. Um, yes. We we live in the most amazing mm. place in the world. Like, mm. there's mm. a thousand things around us. From like, if you walk in Joburg and there's a really poor person versus a really like a rich person working walking next to mm. each other, you can see there's something about them, and you, you take from that. It's like we are sunsets. My favorite thing is going into a road trip into the middle of nowhere, and looking at different colors and how they blend, and how trees and silhouettes ca causes shapes. Mm. I, I don't think it's as simple as a lot of people get confused and go, ooh, I'm going to reference what Vogue did. And then yeah. I'm going to do it and it's an African version. Yeah. <laughs> there's no creativity to no, that. No, there's, there's nothing. Because like, as much as we want to get influenced by images, and that's what we do is we create beautiful images, as soon as you have that image in your mind, you'll always reference it. You'll always go like, oof, am mm. I doing what this person did last month? Whether if you just go and you live life, because this is really what you have to do, if you want to create anything, you have to live as hard as possible. And then yeah. taking from all your experiences and going, wow, this is how I see it. And my eye is different to someone else's eye. Yes. And we all have our own different kind of style in the way we approach very things. True. Mm. But it's a very organic, very organic situation that happens. I mean, as a trend analyst, I always say fashion is a consequence of things that are happening around you. It's not mm. just a standalone item. Mm. That they, it comes with weights, and I think your work provokes that kind of emotion because you instill that kind of emotion into that yeah. work. And style can never be bought. Sorry, I just want to come in there and say style can never be bought. And I, I tell people with my hair too, like you can never <laughs> copy this because you need, at, for some certain things, you need confidence and you yeah. need to carry out well. Because if you don't have the confidence and you walk into a room, people will be like, that is weird, that is nasty. But if you walk <laughs> in and you have confidence, people are like, wow. Yeah. So it's about taking ownership and creating 
creating your own aesthetic as a being and not copying someone else's aesthetic. Absolutely. I was going to say it's like the truth from the inside out. Yes. You can't say, I want to wear what Morwick has. Why don't you create your own thing? So I think mm. it's just about really just um, enjoying our individuality and our differences and making sure that you can, you can make, you can make the best out of, uh, out of what you, what you have, how you see things. Um, I think we are definitely wrapping up now, guys. It's been an amazing, um, show. Um, Ferreira, where can, I mean, uh, Francois, where can <laughs> people, Ferreira. where can, so, yeah, where can our audience, um, connect with you? Just, um, um, you can go onto my website, which is just www.francoisferreira.me. Nicola Cooper will send out a link. Um, and then we also oh, well. have um, an exhibition coming up now on the 27th of August, which actually has nothing to do with Africa, um, but to do with um, the land of advertising and the fact that we are very conservative in South Africa with sex. And it has like hints of sexual desires and fantasies. So that'll be on the 27th at 20 Solomon Road. Um, and anyone's welcome to come. It's open. It's for one night only. And then we're burning everything down. Wow. Mm. wow. So, Ma- yeah. Maria. Yeah, sorry. Maria, where can our audience connect with you? Ooh, right now on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Maria McCloy on Instagram. Maria McCloy on Facebook. And Maria Podesta on Twitter. Very busy on all of that. So. Thank you very much. Um, it's been an amazing show. Quickly, we normally have our last segment. We've got 30 seconds each to just quickly say who would you want to dress and why, and then we can uh, go home and smile. <laughs> My, who I want to dress this week real quick is Chris Brown. I've been, I've been looking at Chris Brown, and anything you put Chris Brown into it, he works it. He owns it. So the person that I want to dress and maybe just also give him one of them a side blankets and going to work coming to America is Chris Brown. That's why I want to dress. Maria. Did you see Chiwa tell Edgy of is in town? My God, the man is fine. <laughs> I want de- I want to I I I deliver some shoes <laughs> to his hotel room. <laughs> nice one. Nice one. Lisa? I don't have a particular person. I want to dress woman. I want to dress woman that gets, um, that gets sort of like another side of fashion that's like an intelligent side of fashion that's what I'm interested in people that get aesthetic and design and want something more it's not about looking sexy very true yeah. uh, um, uh, I would really want to dress my mother <laughs> but she doesn't trust me so <laughs> all my life <laughs> and uh, Nicola um, there's a lady um, from Cape Town called Anna Fremantle who who does the Edinburgh Fashion Festival. She is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. Um, I met with her and I was like, <gasps> she's just otherworldly. I'd love to dress her. I would want to dress the 40-year-old Kenyan woman because <laughs> I was in Kenya just now and I just thought, oh my gosh, what happened? I mean, I'm headed that way too, but I just Hardly. feel that the, I just yeah. feel that there's something I need to do with the 40-year-old Kenyan woman. I will uh, maybe push it out on social media. <laughs> it's time for us to wrap up this amazing show. You guys have been lovely as usual. Any parting shots? Stay focused and remember we are African. <laughs> Have a fantastic, fantastic afternoon. And log on to www.fashionlabafrica.com for more conversations with us. Keep Peace it real. Life. It's Friday. Ciao, Bye. ciao. This is cliffcentral.com.